0: Exchange! I'm so glad to see y'all. Y'all look good every time I'm up here. Some of y'all look even better than I see you last time. You've been praying. I've seen it. I see it. You look good. Well, my name is Taylor, like Mark said, and I am on the team here, and I love it here at Exchange. But when I'm not here at Exchange, if you don't know, I do have a day job. I'm a florist. And that sounds really cool and all until these two weeks out of the year come around that are awful for everyone who's a florist across the nation. And those are, you probably could guess them, Valentine's Day and Mother's Day. And those are the weeks I work like a surgeon. Like, I work 70 hours. That is not an exaggeration. 70 hours the week of Mother's Day or Valentine's Day. And that does not include what we did the week before for prep, doing the vases and greenery. I know I could go on and on complaining about Mother's Day and Valentine's Day. But because I worked so many hours during those holidays, come to like, 40, 50 hour mark, like, our, all of our bodies start to fall apart. Because it's 40 hours in three days. It's not 40 hours spread across the week like everybody else's. It's 40 hours doing this. Putting flowers in vases, and you just become this stiff robot. And so my boss is pretty cool. He actually, like, tries to take care of us during that time. I mean, he is working us to the bone. So like, I feel like you should provide like a snack or something. So he does. He provides snacks. He gives us uh, lunch. He buys us dinner. Um, and then, you know, when our bodies start to fall apart, he actually brings in this guy and he's a massage therapist. Now, some of y'all are thinking, bro, take, stop complaining. You a florist. This, you have such a fairy job. Y'all have massage therapists come in. No, listen, wait, wait, let me defend myself because this massage therapist, I, I don't know what's wrong with him because he likes to torture people. Like, anybody who has been touched by this specific massage therapist screams. I'm just saying. Um, he is more like a uh, physical therapist than he is, like, one of these, like, sweet, like, let me relax you massage therapist, like, that plays nice music in the background. Yeah. Um, so occasionally he comes around, and it's usually during the holidays. So like I said, during the holidays my body gets super stiff. Usually I get pain, like, right up here in my upper back because I've just been holding my arms up for a long time. So, you know, the girls see me wincing. I'm, like, trying to do this little wiggle thing while I'm designing, and they're like, you know, maybe you should, like, stretch a little bit, so I try stretching, that's not really helping, they're like, try, like, bending and hanging and swinging and all that, none of that's really working, so I was excited for James to come, because he's gonna torture me, but, you know, maybe he'll do something. So he comes, and I'm like, bro, my back is hurting, can you fix it? He's like, yeah, I got you. So I go to lay down, face down on the mat, because my back hurts, he's like, nah, face up, I'm like face up but my back is back here I thought you were supposed to know where everything was but okay it's fine I'll turn around so I lay face up he lifts up my arm and starts pressing on things in my armpit that I did not know existed if you didn't know you got muscles in your armpit you do and they hurt if they pressed he was like does anything touch you but stress I was like apparently not apparently not So I am like writhing on this bed. I'm like, oh my gosh, and it hurts so bad. And I'm on the verge of screaming and he's laughing because I think that part of his soul is missing. I do, but actually he's laughing because he knows I'm gonna feel better when I get up. And I'd be mad because he'd be right. Like he sat there and tortured me for 15 minutes and I woke up and I'm like, I get up, I'm like, wow. My back feels so good. And like I think this is a kind of common thing that happens in our lives. Like, I think we start hurting, right? And we and we try to do it ourselves a little bit, or we start to ask our friends around us, like, what can I do about this? And then, you know, we kind of try to do a little something here, we try and do a little something there, and it doesn't really work. Like, we experience a hurt and pain and we try to fix it ourselves instead of going to see an expert. Like it wasn't that my it wasn't it wasn't that my coworkers had any ill will for me like cuz they all hurtin too so i know that they're trying their best to help me but none of them had the special insight to how my body was connected they weren't going to know that something in here was affecting something in my back and so most times when we're hurt emotionally we seek advice from friends around us or social media feeds we get all kinds of advice to try to tell us how to fix the hurt like for example, after a breakup, people cope in like a lot of different ways, right? Some people retreat into themselves. they start listening to sad boy music. They in their room like, why'd she, why she leave me, bro? They be all mad, listen to sad love songs, and you're like, it's gonna help, it's gonna help, I need to feel my feelings, and it don't. It just make you feel worse. Or maybe like you're the type, you're a revenge glow up person. And you're like, I'm about to go work out, I'm about to go get love, I'm about to go buy me a new dress. Meanwhile, you're like posting on your Instagram, making sure everybody knows you're okay. Looking at your story watches, making sure that they watching so they know you okay. (laughs) Or maybe you're the type that's like, you know, I'm free now. I ain't been free in a minute. I'm about to go out. I'm about to go out and get crunk. (laughs) What y'all be doing? Don't, I ain't new. All right, you go out, maybe you have a little drink, you're like, man, I'm free now, I'm about to, I'm about to do whatever I want to do, and then you wake up hung over emotionally and physically. None of these advices that you try to fix it yourself or that your friends give to you are working, and maybe for you it's not a breakup, right? Maybe it's, you're feeling purposeless, and you don't know what to do, so you start feeling lost, and then you're like, I got to I need to find myself. I just eat, pray, love out in the world. And um, that's not working either. Like, you try to make more money. That's not working. And maybe you decide, like, literally everything is not working. And you finally ask another friend. And that friend is like, bro, you know what the problem is? You do not love yourself enough. You don't. Like, you've got to love yourself before you can love everybody else. So maybe you've heard something like this and you've related to it. This article is titled, The Magic of Loving Yourself. It was much longer than what I chose out of the article, but these are the, kind, the things that stuck out to me that I think we hear the most. Self-love is our fuel. It's the foundation for who we are. Everything builds on top of this foundation. If it isn't solid, life feels shaky. Self-love pushes you to take care of your own needs. You'll learn to give, yourself, give to yourself, and in doing so, you'll develop into the person you strive to be. Stop seeking happiness outside of you. You will not find it. You may find temporary happy moments, but you won't find long-lasting happiness. Now, when culture makes claims, Christ followers have to be careful not to fall into a trap because it looks good. Because some things put forth by the culture look so close to the truth, but when you inspect them carefully, they... Or not. It's like when you try to go order something online, like you want to order a new sweatshirt or something, you got to put your card number in because you memorize it because you be shopping online a lot. I'm going to pray for you. But you don't memorize it and you put it in and you hit the button and it's not going through. You hit it again, you're like, what is the problem? So now you got to grab your card, pull it out, look at it, and like now you realize, oh, I missed the number. But it wasn't good enough that you were close to the truth. You cannot access the power of your card unless the number is precisely and exactly right. You need all of the information to be correct in order to access the power. And the same thing in your life, if you do not have the exact truth, it is not going to work. You cannot be close, you cannot be within a walking distance. You have to have truth in order for it to have power in your life. And I think that article was aptly titled The Magic of Loving Yourself. Because what do we know about magic? It ain't real it's not true, it's fake, it's an illusion, you pull back the, the curtain and you're like, oh wow, this was indeed too good to be true. This might come as a shock to some of y'all, but Jesus never said that we were supposed to love ourselves first. And like, that's crazy because that's all we've been told like our entire young adult lives is like, you have to love yourself, you have to love yourself. Like when well, now you're an adult, you have to love yourself. But the truth is this advice is more and more counter to what the Bible says. And it's the kind of idea our society has wrapped up so nicely that it really does kind of sound like the truth. But this is what the Bible actually says. In 2 Timothy 3, 1-2, it says, but understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty for peoples will be lovers of self. What? The Bible said that in the end times people was going to love themselves? Now, some of y'all are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is this sounds, this sounds weird, but let me tell you, I think, I think we start to throw self-love in places that it really doesn't belong. Like, we interchange the words self-love, self-esteem, and self-care all the time, and they're not the same. So, we have to take each idea and hold it up to the lens of the scripture and see if it stands up on its own. So, first, let's take self-care. So self-care is exactly what it sounds like, right? It's caring for yourself. It's taking care of yourself, your body by resting, exercising, eating well, taking breaks from social media, going to therapy, taking care of your mental health. That all sounds good, right? Well, let's, let's see if the Bible supports it. So there's a verse in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 20 that says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, for whom you have God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So that means if my body is a temple of God and God lives and resides within my heart, then I should probably take care of it, right? So the scripture says God cares what I do with my body and that I should use it to glorify him. So it sounds like self-care checks out as a biblical principle, right? So self-care means we care for our body as we would a temple to glorify God. But we have to be careful not to use our bodies to glorify ourselves, like You can take care and exercise and eat well and all that, but when you get to crunch and you post a shirtless in the mirror, and then you put a Bible verse in the caption, that don't count. Girls, y'all not exempt either. You put the phone on the ground and you do an RDLs, and you got the gyro Marvin Gaye mix in the back of your TikTok, that ain't it either. We cannot simultaneously be self-seeking and God-glorifying at the same time. So there is a limit to how much we can care for ourselves. There is a healthy manner, and then there is a part that kind of skews us, right? So self-care, biblical principle. Self-esteem is self-worth. Let's go there next. So they're defined as confidence in one's own ability or worth having self-respect. It means feeling that you are valued, you are loved, you are worth treating kindly. So that sounds good too, all right? But we've heard a lot of things that sound good today that we're not really sure about. So let's see what the Bible says about it. So Psalm 139.14 says, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So we swing over to the New Testament, and in Luke we see it says, why even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are worth more value than many sparrows. Have y'all ever been obsessed with something like you just know the most minute details about for no reason? Like, I know people really obsessed with sports. I'm not a sports person, but I know, like, people, they know all the averages of their favorite sports person. They know, like, baseball, for example. They know their batting average. They know their base percentage. They know how many times they went to the bathroom today. They know their girlfriend' first name, her middle name, her last name, her social. Like, why do you know all that information? But it's because that person is valuable to them. They know so many small details about that person because they believe that there is something worth knowing about that person. And God says that He knows the smallest details about you from the micro to how many hairs you have on your head to the macro to how He purposes your life. And He says that you are worthy. You are so valuable to God that he believes that looking at you so closely is such a joy to him. So it looks like self-esteem, healthy self-esteem, healthy self-worth, healthy self-care are all biblical principles. So then we swing back to this idea of self-love. So when the Bible talks about people who love themselves, he's not talking about— the Bible's not saying to forsake your health or to not treat your body with respect or to not know your worth— The concept that the Bible is pushing back against is loving yourself first and having an inflated sense of love or pride for yourself. The same way we held up all those other concepts to the Bible's light. Let's hold up the way that culture tells us to love, right? So we know that first culture tells us to love ourselves. It's like, I need to love myself or I can't love anybody else. So let's go back to that verse in 2 Timothy. So 2 Timothy two to five we're gonna go on it says but understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self but it keeps going lovers of money proud arrogant abusive disobedient to their parents ungrateful unholy heartless unappeasable slanderous without self-control he keeps going uh but understand this (laughs) uh sorry next slide Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying his power. Avoid such people. That's not like a rant. That's not like I got on TikTok and somebody just started going off. It was like, people to be like this. I mean, but it's true. Like, in going deeper in this passage, I came across the original word. So the Bible, this passage of the Bible was originally written in Greek. And so the Greek word for lovers of self is phalatos. It's a very fancy word. But it basically means selfish and too concerned with yourself, right? So as I was digging, I found this commentary, and it said, it is no accident that the first of these qualities will be a life that is centered in self. The adjective used is phalautos, which means self-loving. Love of self is the basic sin from which all others flow. The moment that a man makes his own will the center of his life, divine and human relationships are destroyed obedience to God and charity to men both become impossible the essence of Christianity is not the enthronement but the obliteration of self so so we see in this verse that the root of our problems is not that we don't love ourselves in fact it's the opposite people are not ungrateful can you put that verse back up people are not ungrateful because they don't love themselves enough they're ungrateful because they inherently believe that they deserve more they deserve more. Why? Because they want everything. It doesn't matter what God says that he wants for them. Our human nature is inherently self-loving. When we look at God and we're angry and we're accusing him of holding back blessings, you're like, bro, I didn't ask you for nothing else, but all I wanted was a spouse and all I wanted was a girlfriend. All I wanted was a boyfriend. You won't just give me the one thing that I asked for. You're so in love with yourself that you are so concerned about what you want and not looking at what the father wants for you. When you are slanderous, when you gossip, it is not because you don't love yourself. It is because you love yourself so much that you want to take somebody's name and stand on it so you that might be higher and mightier than them. When you lie and you cheat and you steal, it is not because you do not love yourself enough. You love yourself plenty. The reason you do those things is because that you believe that your ability to get ahead and maintain your status and have all these nice things is more important than your value to have integrity. So let's not forget about the part that says having an appearance of godliness. That's on the next part. It says having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. It is not that you do not love yourself enough. That you go to church and you got you act holy and you got these Bible verse tattoos and you got the aesthetic pictures of your quiet time on Instagram. It is It is that you love yourself so much that you are concerned more with looking holy than actually having the image of Christ and bearing it. Actually having God come in and transform and clean up the crap that is in your life. It is because we love ourselves so much that we experience and we display all of these things even as Christ followers. So why would Jesus tell us to love ourselves first when he knows that self-love is from where all these things flow from? The cultural order of love does not concern itself with what is wise. It concerns itself with what feels good, not with what is right. So culture told us to love ourselves first. The second thing culture usually tells us to do is to love the people who love me. Like, love the people who gas me up, love my buddies, love the people who are with me, and I cut everybody else off. I mean, we might believe that we're doing the right thing by withdrawing from people. And, And the argument here is not to attach yourself to toxic people, right? If somebody is truly toxic in your life, that's not what we're talking about. But the culture is saying that I only love the people who love me. But the Bible says in Luke, it says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do this. If you lend to those who receive, I'm sorry, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. If you're subscribing to the popular mantra of like, I match energies, that's like a popular thing now. Like I saw a t-shirt that was like, I match energies, how we gonna act today? (laughs) If I see one of y'all wearing that, don't do that. The whole point of this Christian thing is so that we can be transformed and renewed in our minds. If we are walking around just waiting on a reason for someone to take us off, we waiting on a reason to fight. We ready to be hostile. We cannot say that we are loving the way that we're supposed to. So that looks like terrible advice too. Okay, so we're two for two. Culture is is down. Zero points for culture. Okay, the third piece of advice that culture says in the cultural order of love is that I have to find myself and define my truth. Usually finding my truth means finding whatever feels good. Maybe it's the side of God over here. It's the side of spirituality. You got both on the saying, I don't know how they both existed, but they both existed. You got a side of like, oh, I put my money here. I really care about my looks. I really care about seeking the attention of multiple women. I really care about attracting the affection of multiple men. I'm looking for adoration and affection. Maybe your truth looks like just going with the flow. And you don't really have like this more. you don't have like any moral ground. You're just like, whatever the situation is, I'm there. Just flowing. The thing is, the Bible says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. So there is no my truth, there is no your truth, there is Jesus' truth. There is one truth. And I fell into this trap when I was 19. <laughs> so I'm not exempt. I found myself drifting from God because I isolated myself from Him. I was really confused. I had all these questions, I didn't really know how to ask anybody. But instead of like really seeking the Lord, I just, I just felt like I needed to go find myself because that's what all the memes and whatever was. And I was just decided I wanted to do my own thing. So I started scrolling on dating apps. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with dating apps inherently, but the way I was doing it, it was more like I'm trying to find somebody who will show me how to love myself. And I know some of us have been there. And I was looking for a full social life. I was looking to go hang out with people all the time. I was looking to achieve the best grades. I was looking to have the coolest, trendiest job to make myself feel important. I kept looking for truth and finding dead ends until I threw up my hands and let Jesus in. I don't think it was a coincidence that when I stopped fighting God, I found myself in him. And so for anyone else who feels like they might be lost in the room, they might relate To what I've been saying. And they might be putting all their stake in someone coming along and showing them what love is. This is what God says to the exiles in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your hearts. And God is love. And you might have been looking for John or Jake or Jen or Jessica to come and love you, but until you find Jesus, you cannot know love. You are going to keep slamming into walls until you decide to throw up your hands and seek Jesus. And seeking Jesus with all your heart, it doesn't have to be like this holy pilgrimage. That like, uh, it's not, it's not, It doesn't have to be this like big holy thing. It just means like taking a step. It means taking one step towards him, even if it's scary. Even if you feel like someone's going to judge you. Even if you feel like your mom is going to talk bad about you. Even if you feel like your best friends are going to abandon you. It's just one step at a time. And so that I can tell you from experience that the feeling of being scared is worth the risk of feeling whole. <laughs> the risk that you might be taking to feel whole is worth it, okay? The, the point is... <laughs> the point is that culture is three for three now. We haven't found a single truth embedded in there. We have debunked every single one of the things that culture told us, right? So what does Jesus actually say about the proper order of love? Well, Jesus starts here. Jesus says, first, we need to love God. Matthew 22, 37 to 38 says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. First, we invite God into everything we do. We invite him into our hearts where it might be broken and it might be hurting. And some of us feel like maybe my heart's not whole anymore. I can't invite anybody else in. Too many people have stomped on it. Too many people have heard it. But he is the only person who can mend and sew it back together. You have to invite him into your soul where you get your purpose so that he can give you direction. You have to invite him into your mind so that he can teach you how to make the right decisions. Without the proper base for love, there is no way we can even know what love is. All we can do is give people these knockoff versions of love when we don't know who the true creator and embodiment of love is. It's not enough to just know God's love, though, right? A lot of us know that God loves us. I think a lot of people came to Christ knowing God loves them. But the second thing that Jesus says that we need to do is to remain in God's love. And I think as Christians, this is probably the hardest part for us to remember. But in John 15... It says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments and you remain in his, I'm sorry, remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So it's hard for us to remember that we have to remain connected to the source of love so we don't find ourselves falling into pitfalls. But by remaining in his love, we learn to love ourselves the way Jesus loves us. So, right, we started with God, and now we can get to, okay, I remain in his love, and God is showing me what love really is, and now I can find myself in that. I can find myself in grace. I can give myself grace. I can find myself in the Lord's mercy. Now I can give myself mercy. I know that I forget my—if if it's left to me, I forget that I am worthy sometimes. I'm really, really hard on myself, specifically when I make mistakes— <laughs> I find myself, like, just wandering into darkness. Like, I am prone to sit on my bed and just, especially at night. Like, I, I've always said, it's, all, it's always at night when you start hearing the whispers. It's like, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. Nobody wants me around. Nobody cares about me. These are the things we start whispering. We don't rem- when, we, when we don't remain in God's love, these are the only things we can hear. When you forget to stay connected, you forget to, that he says that you are valued. You forget what we heard earlier, that he counts all the hairs on your head. You forget that you don't have to find worth in your job title. You forget that you don't have to have worth in your relationship or the things that you have. You forget that even if only, the only thing you have is breath, you can give that to the Lord and he will return with you love. I forget who I am so I cannot define my own truth. We have to remain in his love so he can remind us who we are in Christ. The third item in Jesus' order of love is that you have to love your neighbor as yourself. This is very contrary to what culture told us, which is to love everybody who loves us. Your neighbor is everyone outside of yourself, not just the people who love you, the people you haven't cut off yet, it's everybody outside of you people who believe differently than you, people who look differently than you, people who go to a different school, people who go to a different church. It means everybody outside of you. So Matthew twenty two thirty seven and 39, we saw the first part of this verse earlier. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I think this is the verse that gets most taken out of context when we're talking about loving ourselves. It's because people will look at it and they'll go, well, it says that you should love your neighbor as yourself. So that means that I have to love myself first and then I love my neighbor. No, that's not right. Um, If if God is asking you to look out for your neighbor, um, he's asking you to look out for your neighbor the way you would look out for yourself. The way you would inherently look out for yourself. So in Philippians, we see that um, it goes a little bit deeper into that. And it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking at your own interests, but each of you the interests of others. So you see, you love others as yourself, but we have to think back to how the Bible says that we're supposed to love ourselves. And it's through Christ's love. It's through Christ's love that we love ourselves. So it's through Christ's love that we love others. And he loved us first. The Bible says that we love because he first loved us. So you are not the wellspring of this love. God is the wellspring of this love. And I don't think the crux of the issue that we face is because, is, I don't think the crux of the issue is that we don't want truth. I think our issue is that we settle for like terrible dollar store versions of truth. Like, Jesus wants us to experience his real love, and we settle for these fake, plastic versions of it. And I believe that God literally, that hole you feel, he lets it sit there on purpose, so that you come back to him. So it reminds you that you do need to come back and remain in his love. How do we keep ourselves from falling victim to these false claims of the culture? We've done five weeks of this Jesus Never Said series, and I bet we've all learned a lie, And we're like, wow, I didn't know that wasn't in the Bible. How do I keep from thinking that that's in the Bible when it's not? You need to read it. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy. It was really hard for me to get started. But once you start and you start getting in community and you start asking other people, how did you read the Bible. I don't really know. Where's John in the, why are there two Johns? There's, there's four. I think there's a first, second, third, and then there's like one that don't got a number. Why does that exist? You'll get into community so people can help you work your way through the Bible. Yeah. You have to memorize it. You have to meditate it. You have to know what he actually says so that you don't get caught up in almost truth. You cannot know love without knowing Jesus. You may know lust You may know connection, you may know companionship, you may know concern, but you do not know love unless you know the author of love. Unless you know the person who created it, unless you know the person who embodies it. True unconditional love is us messing up over and over and over and God sending his son to die for our sins despite you and I constantly running from him and hurting ourselves. We forget how valuable God says we are and that is why we have to love him first because you might forget how valuable you are, but Jesus thinks that you are to die for. So I want us to take a minute and reflect. Everybody just bow your heads for a second. And this is just bowing your heads so you can concentrate. I want you to think about an area of your life that you might be running away from God's love. I want you to think about that area that you might be choosing yourself first instead of giving it to God and allowing him to love you. Now, I want you to ask God to enter that place that you know you've been resisting him. If you don't know what it looks like for God to enter a place in your life and you're scared, right now, in your own words, just ask God to reveal himself to you. God, we thank you for just being with us and running after us even when we forget that your love is available to us. I thank you for just holding us in your hands even when we try to run, Lord. I pray that tonight while people are laying in their beds, they would remember how valuable you say they are. And when the whispers come, Lord, I pray that you would cast them away and envelop them in your love. God, I pray right now that you would replace the counterfeits in everyone's life in the room right now, Lord. Show us and give us discernment of where they lie so that we might be able to replace them with the truth. We thank you for your love, Lord. We thank you for your son who you sent to die for us. And we pray that you continue to give us clarity and purpose in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.